Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers and this week's show again comes to you from Kigali in Rwanda, where the final of the 2016 African Nations Championship will be played this Sunday between DR Congo and Mali. On this week's show, we speak to Zambia captain Christopher Katongo. He tells us about his career, including his time in China. It's a high level of playing football, just that it's not been televised. Plus a roundup of how African players did in the fourth round of the English FA Cup and news and analysis on the January transfer window. Everton signing the Senegal forward Omar Nyase from the Russian club Lokomotiv Moscow, and that was about a $20 million deal. And also we have a special feature on the horrors of the Rwandan genocide of 1994, as I've been finding out a bit about the country's history. That's all coming up on the show. I'm still in Kigali, the capital of Rwanda. The 2016 African Nations Championship continues here. This, the fourth edition of the tournament, which was introduced in 2009 as a version of the Africa Cup of Nations for home base players only, with the aim of showcasing the talent of those who play in their own domestic leagues. Well, Rwanda continues to put on a great show with excellent crowds at most of the games, even though Rwanda were knocked out in the quarterfinals last weekend, losing 2-1 to DR Congo in extra time. Well, after that defeat, Rwanda coach Johnny McKinstry told me he's proud of his boys. This is the furthest Rwanda I've ever got. It's a team on the up. At the end of this game, we had seven players under the age of 21 on the pitch. And those same players got us here. Those same players took us to the final of the Sakafa Cup in November. And those same players took Ghana all the way to the last few minutes of AFCON and beat Mozambique away. So this is a young and developing team with a few experienced heads in it. And the future's very, very bright for it. How does it help you in preparing now for the next target, the Africa Cup of Nations next year? We play Mauritius in six weeks' time. We've got two games. We're currently second in our African Cup of Nations group, and we've learnt lessons from this tournament, but also I think the players will take a lot of positives from it, and we'll be ready for those two games because we know if we take six points off Mauritius, we'll be in a really strong position to qualify for Gabon 2017, and, and that's our target. That's Rwanda coach Johnny McKinstry. And the great thing is that there are still huge crowds for the matches, even though Rwanda are out. There's a lot of Congolese living here in Rwanda, and they're giving their team big support as DR Congo are in the final. And the Rwandese people are still coming in big numbers themselves to enjoy the matches. Well, as well as the hosts, also going out in the quarterfinals were Zambia, the team that won the 2012 Africa Cup of Nations. I had a chance to speak to Zambia captain Christopher Katongo, who led Chipolopolo to glory at the Nations Cup in 2012. He's now 33 and was one of the most experienced players here at the tournament. Katongo has played in Sweden, South Africa, Austria, Greece and China, where he was with Henan Construction between 2011 and 2013. He's now back home playing for Green Buffaloes, and before that he was with Vitz in South Africa. I asked Christopher Katongo what it's like being back home. It's, it's good also to go back uh, home also to, to play some games, but uh, the, the reason why I went back to, to go and play in my league, I had some injury when I was playing at uh, Vets University, you know. 
there was not a good treatment for for my knee so i stay a little bit of three four months i was not playing you know and it's not easy for for me to to go and find the team when you are not in active and those are the time that that also i was sideline for for the national team so it was uh, not a, a good time for me to go and play outside that's why i, I went back to play in my country and now I'm back for the for the national team. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to to go. I think somewhere else, you know, to play two three years. Then then I can go back to 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 my country. Never go outside and play. That's my my vision. That's what I want uh, to do. You mean you're saying at the age of 33 you want to go and play outside the country again yeah, yeah. for two three more years? Yeah, that that's that, that's my my intention. And uh, I still have faith that uh, I'll still go. This is a good age, I think, for me to play football. When you are young, you'll be more using much of energy than thinking. So, But when, when you are experienced, you use energy less and uh, thinking more. Take us through your time in China because we're seeing more and more African players going to China and you were among the first who went there. What was the experience like? Uh, I think I had a good time in China. Uh, they showed me the respect. They showed me, you know, they, they were coming me when, when I went to China. And, uh, you know, the, the only difference is that the uh, Chinese league is, is not more being advertised than, than the, the European leagues, whereby it's, it's more, more televised, you know, there's merchandise in the, in the TV rights, in the, the media rights, and, and so forth and so forth. But in the Chinese league, it's, uh, it's not being done like in, in Europe. Uh, that, that, that's why, you know, people think that there is... Not a good league, you know. It's just the people to go there and deter themselves. No, I will. I, I went to China when I was 29, and then we lifted the Africa Cup when I was uh, 30. So it, it doesn't matter where I was playing because also league in China is, is really competitive. People they complain about the food, but for me, I didn't find it. It's difficult, you know, because they have got all the variety of the food that that you want. You want the English food, you want the Italian food, you want the, the Chinese food, you want the, the African food. They, they have everything. So uh, I think in the next 10 years, China, looking at the football, what they are putting in football is, is going to be different. There's good football and they probably, you know, you need to make money. That, that, that That's for sure. The money's there, but how serious is the standard of play, say, compared to South Africa's Premier League? Uh, the, the level of play you can compare to South Africa. China is much better than South Africa. It's a high level of playing football. Just that it's not being televised. It's better I can play in China better than in, in South Africa. It's more competitive and it's more professional there. That's Zambia captain Christopher Katongo. And we have a second part of that interview on next week's show as he talks about his dreams and his faith. Well, next on Planet Sport Football Africa, let's focus on the transfer market as the January transfer window closed with lots of activity as usual. Christopher Katongo spoke there about his time in China and more Africans are heading east. Hebe China Fortune FC have signed two big African names in Ivory Coast Jovinio, moving from Roma in Italy, and Cameroonian Stefan Beer from Trabzonspor in Turkey. So what do you think about uh, their move, Solomon? For Jovinho to move uh, from AS Roma to uh, the Chinese League, that's more like going down, you know, two divisions down. Uh, the Chinese League is not competitive yet. It's growing, obviously. But moving from the Italian League 
uh, to the Chinese league. I don't see how uh, this is going to help a player like Jovinho. And uh, Mbia moving from uh, trap zone sport uh, from the Turkish league. Uh, China is a huge league. It's a definitely a huge, huge league that is growing. But for African players moving there, especially top professional players, I, I don't think is is a great idea for both Jovinho uh, and Mbia. Uh, is it a, a great move for their football career? I would say no. It's not a great move. Is it a great move for their uh, bank balance? Yes, I would want to say it's definitely a great move for them. Now, Solomon, a player you've talked quite a bit about on the show, Emmanuel Emenike, the Nigeria striker, has moved to West Ham in England on loan for the rest of the season from Fenerbahce in Turkey. I feel he's not really on form to play in the English Premier League. Remember, he was just coming out from the league in the United Arab Emirates, which is not really a strong league. Moving from a very slow, weak league to a very strong, fast-paced league, one advantage for him, though, is he's a very physical player. He's a very strong player. Uh, so I just hope that he would have the time to prove himself. It's just six months, so would that be enough for him to prove himself? I'm not sure if that would be enough for him to prove himself. Well, thanks, Solomon. We'll see how Emmanuel Emenike does there at West Ham. And, uh, Stuart, lots of other transfer activity to talk about. Well, yes, indeed. But actually, the whole thing is a bit overshadowed by Manchester City's announcement that Pep Guardiola, the Bayern Munich and Barcelona manager in the past, is going to take over at the end of the season. That's certainly big news, and uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. The other thing that fascinated me about a transfer window is that although $1.5 billion has been spent on transfers this season, in the transfer window, the top clubs were very quiet. You know, Arsenal, one player, Manchester City, one player, Chelsea, one player, Manchester United, no new players at all. And the most expensive signing was Ganala Mbula, who signed for Stoke City. Now, who'd have thought they would be having the biggest money signing? And he's a Frenchman playing for Porto in Portugal, and the fee there was something around $30 million. Now, it's interesting to see which African players have moved and to see who has probably come up with the best deal. One of the most expensive ones was Everton signing the Senegal forward Omar Niasse from the Russian club Lokomotiv Moscow, and that was about a $20 million deal. Watford have signed the Rennes midfield player Abdouli Ducore. Now, he is French, but of Malian descent, and earlier in this window, of course, they signed Nordin Amrabat from Morocco. And interestingly, Watford have signed 18 foreign players during the course of the close season window and the current transfer window. So they obviously like their overseas players there. Newcastle United have got the Roma and Ivory Coast player Sedu Dumia on loan. You may have remember him. He played for CSKA Moscow, including scoring a goal against Manchester United in the Champions League this year. Wabi Kazri, a French-born Tunisian, has signed for Sunderland from Bordeaux. Now, some people have said because there are not many great players available, lesser players go for high fees. And Newcastle have signed John Joe Shelby and Andros Townsend, each for about $18 million. And the point is that Shelby was not regularly in the Swansea team, and Andros Townsend, England International, both of them, 
was not in the Spurs team most of the time. So that's interesting. And anyway, Steve, I know you love this kind of thing. John Joe Shelby was signed on the 12th of January for £12 million. And guess what shirt number he's going to wear? Number 12. <laughs> well, it just had to be, didn't it? Thanks, Stuart. And Stuart will reflect on last weekend's FA Cup action shortly on the show. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And our website is planetsportfootballafrica.com. You can listen to each week's show on the website and find out more about the team. That's planetsportfootballafrica.com. This week's show comes to you from Rwanda, where DR Congo will play Mali in Sunday's final of the African Nations Championship. Still to come on the show, a special feature on the horrors of the Rwandan genocide of 1994, as I've been finding out a bit about the country's history, as well as enjoying the football here. And now we turn to Facebook and to WhatsApp. Last week, the Togo great Emmanuel Adebayor joined Crystal Palace on a free transfer from fellow English Premier League club Tottenham for the rest of the season. Adebayor hadn't played since May of last year. So last week we asked, do you think that it's a good move and will he make an impact at Crystal Palace? Since then, by the way, Adebayor made his Palace debut on Tuesday, coming on in the 58th minute in a game against Bournemouth where they lost 2-1 and he didn't score. Well, again, we've had a big response to this question. Famara Baji in The Gambia says the move is not bad, a good one even. Adebayor's not been playing for around eight months, so I think it's good to start there and set the pace so he can again catch the eye of other big clubs. Amadou Mane agrees, says Adebayor is a world-class striker. He's proved himself at Arsenal, Man City and Tottenham. I believe he'll prove himself at Palace if the manager gives him more opportunities. Gay Floor Arku in Liberia says it's a very good move because I think he'll have more playing time and chances to score goals. Saidu Tamba Giro in the Gambia says I don't know the reason why Palace bought him, but it seems to me that he'll be a squad player. Uh, well, Saidu, Palace are the fourth lowest scoring team in the English Premier League and they've been desperate to sign a striker, so perhaps that's the reason. AIK Obi from the Gambia got in touch. He says Adebayor's physical build, his ball skills and ability to use both feet effectively makes him an ideal centre-forward in the modern game. And don't forget he's a great header of the ball too. Time and time he's proven his ability to score not just goals but great goals in the Premiership, La Liga and on the international stage. He will not only make a great impact but he'll also remind us once again what a world-class player he is. Musa Sisse in the Gambia says, I think Emmanuel's going to be a very good signing for Palace because what he gives you is goals. Alan MJ Campbell in Sierra Leone says, it's a good move for Adebayor. I'm quite sure that as a proven player, he'll perform well because he seems determined and I'm sure he wants to prove his critics wrong. That's why he refused to sign for teams in Asia because he still wants to prove his capability in a top-class league. Aliou Fai in the Gambia says, I think it's a good move for both parties. For Adebayor, he can revitalise his career. And I think his hunger to prove Tottenham wrong will surely yield dividends to Palace, at least in the short term. But Agemo in South Korea isn't so sure. He says it's a gambling move for Palace. Adebayor has again to show the world that he's still a top player. My only doubt would be if he's fit enough to have immediate impact, but we all know he is capable of scoring goals when he's in the right mindset. 
And in other comments, talking about last week's program, Saidu Bar in the Gambia says, "Oh, today's show was wonderful." <laughs> well, thanks. That's really good to hear, Saidu. Glad to hear that you're enjoying the show. And Cherno Jallo says, "Thanks, Planet Sport. I really enjoy your show, and I wish you can extend the time of the program." Well, thanks for your kind words, Cherno. We did increase the time from 15 minutes to 30 minutes last September, and are glad that you too are enjoying the show. And finally, a comment from Hawa in Ghana about the topic we discussed recently about whether it's more important to win with style than to win at any cost. Hawa says it's important to win; that's the top priority. Entertaining the fans comes second. If you end up entertaining the fans without winning, it's pointless. So I'll say entertain the fans, but make winning a priority. Priority. Thanks for that, Howard. And let me take this opportunity to welcome listeners in Ghana and in Liberia who've joined us recently. It's great to have you with us on Planet Sport Football Africa. And if you're listening in either of those countries, do let us know your thoughts on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Well, this week on WhatsApp and Facebook, tell us which do you think was the best transfer in the January window? There was lots of activity. African players in big moves included Everton signing Senegal striker Umar Nias from Russian club Lokomotiv Moscow for around twenty million dollars, and Emmanuel Emenike's move to West Ham for the rest of the season. And while not a player transfer, but as Stuart highlighted, Pep Guardiola's announcement on transfer deadline day that he'll become the Manchester City manager. At the end of the season, was another notable move. So, what do you think was the best transfer in the January window? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now let's catch up with how the Africans are doing in England. In English Premier League midweek games, Leicester stayed on top of the table with a two-nil win over Liverpool. Jamie Vardy scoring the goal of the season—a long shot from a ball that came over from Algeria's Riyad Mahrez. Senegal's Sheikho Kouyaté scored as West Ham beat Aston Villa 2-0. A red card there for Villa's Ghanaian Jordan Ayew. And going back to last weekend, it was the fourth round of the English FA Cup where some smaller teams are still in the competition, taking on the big guns.、Uh, Stuart, what caught your eye there? The African who really caught the eye was Manchester City's Kelechi Iheanacho, who scored three goals, started with a tap-in, then a penalty. And for the third goal, he ran from the halfway line and slotted it home. Joy for Manchester City, but for Aston Villa to lose four nil at home is a real hard blow for them. You know they're bottom of the table. They get a cup tie. It's Manchester City, and you lose four nil at home. Hard times there. Watford continued their winning ways, winning one nil at Nottingham Forest with Odion Igalo starting on the bench. But coming on to score the only goal of the game in the last minute, Arsenal beat Burnley two-one, and this was the first game for their new Egyptian signing, Mohamed El Nenny, signed from Basel, and he had a great game. He had more touches on the ball than any other player. Incidentally, the Arsenal midfield had Alex Awobi, the Nigerian, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and Alexis Sanchez. So. It was a pass from Alex to Alex to Alex, I suppose. Another couple of things to mention: Leeds United beat Bolton Wanderers, and the Gambian player Mustafa Kariol, who was on loan to Leeds from Middlesbrough, came on as a late sub. Everton beat Carlisle three nil, 
and Arona Kony, the Ivorian, scored two goals. Now, Chelsea beat MK Dons 5-1. Bertrand Trahori, the Burkina Faso player, came on as a sub and scored his first ever goal for Chelsea. And I'm wondering if the 20-year-old is the first person from Burkina Faso to score in top-level English football. I wonder if anyone can tell me. Well, you've got me there, Stuart. I've been thinking and thinking and digging and Googling and Googling, and I just can't find uh, another Burkina Faso player who has scored in the English top flight. Well, now, as the African Nations Championship ends here in Rwanda this Sunday, it's been great being here and finding out about the country and the culture and the history. Now, if you do think of Rwanda, the first thing that may well come to mind would be the genocide of 1994, where as many as one million people were killed in ethnic violence, many hacked to death with machetes in one of the worst chapters of recent history. So I went to find out more at the Kigali Genocide Memorial and Museum. Now, please note that this report contains content of a very disturbing nature. There's a series of mass graves here, three on this level and more higher up with uh, big rectangular concrete covers. There's estimated to be 250,000 people buried here. The purpose of the Kigali Genocide Memorial is to give a dignified burial place to the victims, also to inform, to educate and to prevent such a thing ever happening again. In brief, ethnic tensions rose in Rwanda from 1959, when at that time 85% of the population were Hutu, 15% Tutsi and 1% Twa, with various episodes of Tutsi killings happening from that year onwards. In 1990, a multi-party system was agreed on, following international pressure led by France. The same year, Paul Kagame's Rwandan Patriotic Front invaded northern Rwanda, this a party representing around about 700,000 Tutsis in exile. Despite the agreement, President Juvenal Habyarimana's government began spreading ethnic hatred through the media, and around 2,000 Tutsis were killed between 1990 and 1992. The following year, a peace accord was agreed on, but President Habyarimana and his allies resisted, and plans for genocide were made. But Habyarimana lost control of the Hutu extremists, and on the eve of the 6th of April, the plane he was on with the president of Burundi was shot down when landing in Kigali, and there were no survivors. It's still not known who carried out that attack. But the genocide began immediately. Roadblocks were constructed within an hour, and the killings of those identified as being Tutsi began. The Interahamwe militia went on house-to-house searches for Tutsi, the Prime Minister and her husband were executed the day after the genocide began, along with other moderate Hutus. A new government was set up, killing opposition politicians. Well, this part of the museum is showing some of the real horrors of the genocide. This TV presentation has stories of genocide survivors. One lady who said her entire family was killed, all of her relatives. Uh, she's the only single survivor. There are 
guns in a cabinet, a glass cabinet in front of me. Uh, there's a picture of two relatives who were buried alive, chained together and buried alive. And uh, as well as the guns, there's a, another glass cabinet beneath me where there are wooden clubs, sticks, one with a blunt knife on the end. And these were used to hand out cruel and brutal deaths to people. Then I just read from the display in front of me. It says women were beaten, raped, humiliated, abused and ultimately murdered, often in sight of their own families. Children watched as their parents were tortured, beaten and killed in front of their eyes before their small bodies were sliced, smashed, abused, pulverized and discarded. The elderly, the pride of a Rwandan society, were despised and mercilessly murdered in cold blood. Neighbors turned on neighbors, friends on friends, even family on their own family members. Rwanda had turned into a nation of brutal, sadistic, merciless killers and of innocent victims overnight. Well, it's one thing to hear on the news about huge numbers of people losing their lives but there's always a human side to these statistics and this room here has got 2,000 photographs of the victims of the genocide uh, hanging from the walls we've got people here with big smiles uh, these photos must have been taken in the 80s or early 90s with the afro hairstyles uh, men with shirts with big collars uh, with the top buttons undone a woman in her wedding dress in a picture right in front of me all of these lives lost and almost all of these people should have still been alive today and just about every family in Rwanda affected one way or the other through these killings in this adjoining room there's very little light and there are exhibits of human skulls, bones of those who lost their lives, a child's shoe, there's jewellery, bracelets. Maybe these are some of the people in the photos in the room that I've just been to. It's impossible to identify now. There's a fountain in the garden near the mass graves which is built from rocks and it represents unity, the rebuilding of the nation with these separate rocks coming together. The genocide lasted for three months and it ended as Paul Kagame's RPF party made its way down to Kigali in a civil war, stopping the genocide when taking power. During the killings, the United Nations seemed to watch on. No peacekeepers were sent to the country although they were advised even a force of 5,000 could have stopped the killings. France was even accused of aiding the perpetrators by supplying arms and training militia. High-level perpetrators were tried at the International Criminal Tribunal in Tanzania, and as the prisons were full of accused people, a community justice system for reconciliation was set up. Judges were chosen in the communities for hearings with victims and accused perpetrators, so the people could at least know what happened to their loved ones, to locate their bodies and bury them, and to promote forgiveness. 
Many offenders are now back in the community after serving their jail sentences, and prisoners who confessed were given half of their term as community service to help to rebuild and reconstruct the nation. And 22 years on, Rwanda is indeed a well-developed nation now with a very good infrastructure. The government of national unity urged people to rebuild together without seeking revenge. Paul Kagame, initially the vice president, was elected president in 2003 and remains a hugely popular figure here. The constitution of the same year banned any reference to ethnicity and indeed one seed of the ethnic tension was sown way back in 1932 when Belgian colonisers insisted on identity cards that stated whether the person was Hutu, Tutsi or Twa, even though they all spoke the same language and were one people then. Now, identity cards simply state that a person is Rwandese as the nation moves forward. Well, I compiled that report at the Kigali Memorial Centre. Very sad and moving stuff. And as I said there, the purpose of the centre is to educate people and to ensure that such a thing never happens again. And there are many lessons that we can learn from that story, I'm sure. Well, that's it for this week's show. But on Facebook and on WhatsApp, do tell us uh, which was the best transfer in the January transfer window. And also you can always send us your comments about the show and any other footballing matter. The WhatsApp number is plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. From me, Steve Vickers in Kigali, Rwanda. Also from Solomon Ashams and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.